All right, education models. I feel like it's something that in the public schools, we need to really step back and get a fresh look at things because we've been so obsessed with high stakes testing, education reform. I know it's like, it, it pains you to hear those words. It's like, let's put these children into little boxes of belonging and common core. Common core, here's the standard. Everybody get there, or you suck, or you don't belong. Yep. And and it's and kind it's of uh, one size fits all. Kind of. It's it's definitely tailored to one size fits all. And um, anyone who's been in education knows that standardized testing, the way to do well at standardized testing is to think like the people who make the tests and just regurgitate the information and education now the entire year is now in how to think like the test taker and how to answer the questions the best that you can. And it doesn't matter if you learn anything or know anything or get anything out of it, or even if it's right or wrong. It's just, you know, get your numbers right so that we can look good so that we can get funding and then we can, you know, and, and now the teachers done teaching to the test. So the last, what, two months of school is like, hey, what do you want to learn? Because now you can actually learn something. Isn't that interesting? I just, <laughs> I, I kind of, I was thinking about that yesterday. Seems as though there's always this long push uh, to get that right and get the test scores. And then all of a sudden it's over. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and I'm and then not maybe... sure about Massachusetts, but in Connecticut, because I, I was there through the evol evolution of paper testing to computerized testing. It's called the Connecticut Mastery Test, but it started off in October. And then the complaint was like, we can't prepare our students enough to take the test. It, I mean, it's supposed to be knowledge and skills, right? You're supposed mm -hmm. to just know this by the time. So that's why it kind of got put out to the end of the year. And we had sometimes months and months and months that it would disrupt our schedules and our students in you know the middle of of the year and we were in trimesters so it would sometimes like overlap great you know classes ending and going into a different class and then i mean i remember having a a 10 minute class i remember having two grade levels in my classroom at one time because they just couldn't get the schedules right and you know what does this do to the kids doesn't matter sit down answer the questions get the numbers right so we can be compared to that erg over there which has is totally different but so we can call you a failing school yeah. so you know it's kind of been an evolution of if you don't look at the history you don't know how and we that's got the here thing I don't, I don't think I, I think we are at a generation where and and I've been around long enough well I wasn't back there in 1993 with education reform but I've been around long enough that I remember a lot of uh, educators even in the early early 2000s uh looking back and saying my gosh uh this is going to be a failed experiment and yet here we are 25 <laughs> years later 23 30, years later, 30, 30 years, years later, 1993, the Ma Massachusetts government decided that for students to earn their diplomas from high school, they needed to pass the 10th grade MCAS. That is the rule right now. Like I said, we had opt out in Connecticut. So I got opt out students. I used to also administer the test and I have a 31 year old who also did the test, but it was a totally different ball game back in the, you know, nineties and, and stuff, two thousands. 
Um, and uh, it's it's just we decided we that they weren't going to opt out. We moved here. The kids were going into third grade, which is when they start it. And then every year I have to fight with the fact that, you know, find an alternative thing. And one time at Stern's, the the principal found this thing on the computer and they like designed an island and a whole bunch of different things, components to go with it. It was so creative. And I was like, imagine if all the kids got to do this. Well, that's of- what I mean. I, hate, I, mean I <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record here, but that was what education reform was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be just the test. It was supposed to be a project. Yeah. The test was just a benchmark. But you just get a give a little bit at a time. Yeah. Just give a little bit at a way of it away at a time. And pretty soon the, you know, 12 years of education in Pittsfield Public Schools, you don't know how to use tools. You you don't know how to cook for yourself. You don't know how to <laughs> and that do is, real is knowledge and skills. Right. I mean, and that's why we have to step back and say, what is the purpose? Of education. Are we giving kids the skills that they need to be able to live great lives? And not just from an economic development standpoint, from, a, from an economy standpoint. Social, emotional. Social, I mean, emotional, your, your happens first. The rest comes after that. Right. But we are definitely not doing that. And um, on my... I am, this, I am it, totally computer yeah. illiterate. Yeah. However, this, by the way, this isn't Pittsfield. <laughs> this is this is. No, no. Like I, I said, ever, I was yeah. in Connecticut, and yeah, yeah. you know, we were doing the same sort of battle. Yeah. Um. And, um. But it's just become more so, and because I saw how technology was introduced into the classroom, like I started teaching, based the month of nine eleven, we didn't have any live feed into the school. The kids didn't have cell phones. So it was very, very different. I remember it was like second period or something. And I had to go in and get my mail into the office. So I went to the office and they had, you know, big TVs hanging up and it was the World Trade Center. And I'm like, I was a new teacher. Why are they watching this movie in the middle of the day? I mean, this is kind of weird. And they're like, it's happening live, but we can't tell the kids anything. So for that entire day, we had to teach as though 9-11 was not happening. Mm. So some parents did come and get their their kids. And then we had to kind of like brush that off also. But by the next day, you know, then we had to be like, okay, how are we going to address this? What are we going to do? Because now kids are really scared. You know, how do you explain this? How do you, any of that? Um, So really that's when it started with me on, kids needed to be able to process what was happening and how they felt about stuff. And, you know, being an art teacher with basically no curriculum, except what we made up, um, it, it became about being able to do that. And really like, what do you, anybody can make art, draw, whatever, but you know, what do you have to say? And, and having that place, that vulnerable space for, for kids to connect and express how they felt. And and then of course, a few years later, I was in Connecticut for Sandy Hook where the kids did know um, that day. And um, that was really, really traumatic. Um, we immediately had police at all the schools in Connecticut and um, everything got locked down, which was always ridiculous because the fronts of the schools were all glass. Um, and and it just to- totally changed 
how everything was. We immediately had men in the ceilings installing cameras that just became normal for like two years everywhere, you know, drilling and, and whatever. And, you know, if you've ever been in lockdown with kids behind a desk, trying to keep them calm to take it seriously, because there was one time where the kids thought they, that it was a year of Sandy Hook. They thought they saw somebody out outside. I think we were in lockdown for over a half an hour, but you know, I could be wrong. Um, but I designed my entire classroom so that it was safe for a potential, you know, shooter. So mine was on the first floor. We had narrow windows in the back so that if somebody looked in, it had to look like nobody was in the classroom. So I had, I had um, closets that were in the back corner and my, you could look through the window there. So you couldn't see anybody because we were over here. And then I had my desk and some cabinets, you know, like a fortress. And then I would be there and they would be behind me. And then one of the closets went into the other room, which went out into the hallway. So there was a, an escape. And every year that was my main focus was keeping the kids safe. And afterwards I did, you know, I did say to the kids, it didn't matter if, if I gave you a detention, it didn't matter if you got a bad grade. It didn't matter if I got pissed off at you in class, I would still take a bullet for you because I am here to protect you. I am here in place of, of your family member of your caregiver and I am here to protect you no matter what. And, you know, we shouldn't have to say that to kids mm. and, you know, they, they come in and they were scared. So they'd be like, you know, the Mayan calendars ended. What do you think about that? I didn't have all the answers, but you just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like, okay, just think, you know, they're always saying stuff in the media that the world's going to end or this is bad or that's bad or whatever. And, you know, the schools don't have those, a lot of those safe spaces. That's not, that's not happening. So part of what we do with our community school is to build those connections. And because we are out in the parks and stuff, um, we have um, caregivers and family members. So it's also about, you know, how to, to build that communication thing and that, you know, just kids are awesome, but Grownups make them suck by like, you have to do this. You can't say that. That's silly. That's dumb. That's not important. And, you know, that's that's not how to be a good educator. So um, I basically created the Community School and Reformation Academy to fill in all of what they're not doing anymore if they ever did into the regular public schools. And so this is, it was accepted, safe sites into the schools, supposed to be in the schools, accepted last August. Um, I've done six safety, Pittsfield Public School Safety Committees, committee meetings with Nicole Fecto and my daughter, Cassandra, who's at Taconic. And we have one more and then it goes to the school committee to accept safe sites. And that's just a place where kids having a problem, just come here, want to draw, let's talk about it. Because what's really going on with the kids and the families and the, the miscommunication and the violence, it's all, you know, has to do with relationships and there aren't relationships in the schools. It's like we've pretended we haven't been in a COVID war for the past three years. There's been a separation 
over those three years, you know, and um, and hopefully starting to reconnect. Um, but everybody's in a different place. Everyone's in a different place. That is that is true. That is true. And you need to get a common denominator in all in order to solve a problem. And if you have everybody in a different place and not really not, you know, we have two truths and a lie going on now and hmm. the kids know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So looking at that philosophy of what you are doing. So that started with uh, the Reformation Academy. Right. So let's let's break this down a little bit. Okay. Uh, because this is your baby. You know, this is your, uh, you know, every it's kind of like you stated a problem there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we have we have public schools as it is and many te and many teachers uh, bemoan that, you know, because they got into teaching to to teach and to inspire kids and to be able to be creative and in all that. But and we being are a in this rigged too. Uh, all that. <laughs> and so um, and so now we have a bit of the your philosophy, the the antidote, as it were. <laughs> yes. So tell me about this um, uh, process of, of beginning it and then how it's evolved. Um. Well, I love teaching kids. I didn't want to be a teacher, but um, through different things, I ended up being a, a middle school art teacher for 13 years in Connecticut and loved it. My students made me feel like a rock star. And so thankfully with um, Facebook, I am now able to still quote unquote teach, but with over a thousand of my former students who are now pretty much in their 20s, up to about 34, I think. Um, raising their own kids. A lot of them are teachers, even somewhere the, in the school I taught, even though they asked me, should I be a teacher? I'm like, no, it's not <laughs> fun anymore. Don't do it. Um, they didn't listen. Um, but to have that connection with them and how I started that was because they said, I'm doing, is doing everything that I was supposed to do. I got my degree. I did this and I can't make enough money to pay off my loans, to, to live, to do this. And I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. I'm this. And then they were self-destructing left and right for a really long time. So no, we're not giving our kids the tools, knowledge, and skills that they need because they are self-destructing before they're 20, 25, 30, 35 at an alarming rate. And um, so what I discovered from not teaching kids anymore as doing workshops at my shop, which were geared more towards grownups is, and, and also doing like Brimfield antique show and the antique shows that we were doing and, and talking to people about their creativity and how many grownups had lost their creativity. They were just so disconnected from a whole other part of them, their whole creativity. Oh, I didn't get that. Um, I've, I taught childcare six weeks old to like 12 years old before I went to middle school to teach for 13 years. So I've taught all ages and abilities, thousands of children. Everybody has creativity, everybody's dance, singing. That's the essence of what a human is, mm. but as they become a grown up, it's like, oh, you gotta pay for this. Oh, you gotta do that. Oh that's just a hobby. That's unimportant. Oh, that's, you know, whatever, yeah. but it is not as important. And so that hobby, that 
whatever becomes just irrelevant. It's pushed away. You just got to like, you're now in, and I did it, you know, I worked three jobs and did master's degrees and raised four kids and I was going a million miles an hour. And so until we came here, that's what we were doing too. Just like going, going, going towards this goal. But all we were doing was going in a circle and we never got anywhere. Mm. So when we moved here, we had started a couple months before on our patio just to like exist and, and Phoenix ourselves was like making things out of things. Mm-hmm. So like taking garbage and then turning it into fine art. So that's where the phoenixing came from. So as we were phoenixing ourselves, we started working together and and creating things and making things. And then that became here, the shop. And, and so then, you know, because it's made out of junk and made out of vintage stuff, everybody identified with it. And so that would bring up a story, it would bring up a feeling, it would bring up a memory. And a lot of times that would take those grownups back to something they really liked in in middle school and high school or something that a a loving family member or, or just somebody that they had a good relationship with taught them and, and they forgot about it or they disconnected from it. So it was like connecting them back, connecting the grownups back to that part of themselves from childhood in order to find that whole missing piece of themselves to balance off that whole working to live, living to work Mm. thing. And so that became, you know, a big part of, of what I started doing. And then with, with grownups in the, in the community, and then it's just kind of, you know, they shut the world down. So Mm. had to kind of re-Phoenix and rethink. And that's when I went outside with the kids and started doing, doing that more. Um, And, and like I was teaching, teaching sewing in the parks and then there would be a mom whether they were 20 whether they were 40 or a grandma like oh I used to do that oh I remember my grandmother taught me that I used to do that when you know and then and then they could do it together and that was just like a really exciting thing to be able to bring to children of all ages to reconnect and, and create recreate reconnect that those memories and the happiness and so everything's just kind of evolved from that and um just through different things and and then it's become you know what i explained what i presented as safe sites um into this the school system primarily on the west side um i've been in conversations with two superintendents now and lots of administrators and Getting inside the box after you've come out of the box is very, very, very difficult. Hmm. (laughs) Let's talk about what it looks like outside the box, because you have the academy that has nine, well, there's nine different academies. Right underneath that which create mind body soul balance when you incorporate all of them so gardener's multiple intelligences i learned in a master's class ironically from who became my first superintendent but it totally was i I was in my late 20s totally clicked on that everybody learns differently hey wow i'm not
not supposed to be like, because I was a musician, I was an artist. Being here in blue collar Pittsfield in the 80s, um, three years at PHS, people were mean. You know, I've been called the freak in Pittsfield for a really long time. <laughs> That's why I left for 23 years. Um, so, you know, and that mentality has not changed. So it's just like, you know, basically having an educational system where everybody belongs, not just the jocks and the cheerleaders. And, you know, it really is like, like breakfast club is <laughs> in a lot of yucky ways. Um, so this is, as the, the mindfulness, it's that you don't have to fit in one of those boxes because I don't care what they're telling you. It is not one size fits all. You are not supposed to be like everybody else. I used to do a thing, um, a critique in my classroom. Um, everybody would put their, their work up on the board. And I tried to do it with all my classes at, at some point. I said, okay, I just want you to look, everybody's is different. But you are all here. You, y'all, I, me, I gave you the same thing. I gave you the same materials. But everybody expressed it differently. Everybody is unique. Your art is unique because you have different experiences. You have different ways of thinking and doing things and believing things, and that manifests as different art. And art is the only place where you can all have a different answer and all be right. Mm. And that's important. And important to know. However, 13 years in public education, I was always justifying why art was necessary in the school and why? how we were. How, how are we in a place <laughs> where you justify? Oh my goodness, art. all the creatives. I learned within a few weeks, I had a veteran teacher say, I wish I could have your job and just play all day. Oh, is that what you think I do? One time I was teaching I, well, 13 I, different classes in a yeah, three-day rotation and three yeah. different grade levels. Yeah. Could you do that? No, they did not do that. Too. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, <laughs> um, you know, that the you know, playing uh, play is learning. Uh, you know, we have that conversation, especially for young people. I mean, how do people learn? They, they, it be, it's a process of, of experimentation. Of well, it's testing, like beauty of, is pain. Yeah. Learning is not fun. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's yeah. It, in my classes, if we weren't laughing and kids weren't smiling, I felt I was doing something wrong. And and I go just ask your you know <laughs> ask ask yourself a question. Um, you know, do you uh do you, do you get things uh and understand things better when you're miserable or when you're happy or you know or when you find or or when you find some humor in something and there's this interesting connection because humor is all about you know, connection and yeah. being able to, you know, I mean, laughing to, is, is a happy, good thing. Is. And, and that, those are things you remember, but yeah, they're, they <laughs> are frowned upon. And I learned very quickly public education. Yeah. They said, you need to be really visible with your program because they're always going to want to cut it. And that was from music educators. And, and I saw it, you know, we went from this really, I saw, home ec my friend had home ec two classrooms next to mine and they eradicated that stuck health in which wasn't health but i'm sure that was funded you know i saw all these little grant initiatives i mean i piloted a lot of different programs i got to do because at one time they wanted me on all the committees they wanted me on the safety committee they wanted me on you know my first principal told me you connect with a whole bunch of kids who don't usually connect to any other teacher. And that was a good thing. 
my last teacher, she did not feel that way. <laughs> my last, yeah, well, she had been, a, she had been an art teacher and talk about going to the dark side. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's all about, it's all about perspective. And I saw things that were good that just, if you got a new administrator in or a new, you know, that teacher was promoting that and that teacher retired and then the whole good things just vanished that, and, and we're replaced by fit in the box, answer the question, get in line, do what you're told, sit down and, you know, just comply or die. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, we got a, a lot of kids that have been speaking out. You know, we've always spoken out. This is not good. This doesn't we don't want this. This is not what we need. And they're like, no, this is what you need. Do it. I feel like standardized testing is, uh, overall, it makes education lazy, you know, because it's interesting that you said, oh, I wish I could do what you do and have fun all day. And, and in the meantime, it's when you're actually creative, that, that, that's, that is a lot of work, but it's more fun work because you can, you can, uh, delve into it and really, um, engross yourself in it. But I feel like, you know, just following, uh, those protocols it's, it's honestly, it's, um, lazy. I, I just, I just, it's too easy, you know, because it doesn't really, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, one year we're, we we're... had one, we <laughs> had, oh my goodness. One year we had this assistant superintendent. So it was all the art teachers were in a classroom, you know, for a professional development day. Um, so we had the high school teachers, we had the elementary school teachers, we had two middle school teachers there. And he wanted us to script out our entire curriculum for the entire year for gr every grade day by day so that anybody could go in and just teach our art classes and talk about revolt. He's <laughs> lucky. He's lucky we didn't set fires because <laughs> like, no, that is the total antithesis of what creativity is. I mean, I couldn't even imagine doing that because Sometimes I'd have a whole idea in my head. I'd walk into my classroom and, you know, something would happen or they would say something. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I got an idea. And I would totally change what our project was. And then we'd have a whole different lesson that we would do. Mm -hmm. And if you are scripted into what you're supposed to be doing, like they have to ask four months ahead of time if they want to they want to read a book yeah. or go outside. And yeah. I was always like, you know, the kids would come in they're like, Hey, Ms. Cardo, it's nice outside. Can we go outside and do sidewalk chalk? Or, you know, I had tennis balls so they could play ball ball and stuff like that. And to me, that's curriculum also, because now you're taking this group of children and you're putting them in a different situation. And now they're going to interact with each other differently in different com um communication is going to happen between all of us and being outside, like being outside is not a bad thing. And my classroom yeah. was right near the outside. So, you know, then we'd negotiate like, okay, if everybody does the work for 20 minutes then we can go outside and that sort of thing towards the end, you had to, like I said, get documentation, it has to be approved yeah. way ahead of time. Yeah. And so all the spontaneity, which is also necessary um, and just, and once again, you know, deviating outside the box, you know, you have to stay in the box. This is, this is what you do. And, and this has just created so that schools are like prisons. Schools are often worse than prisons. 
mm. I thought Reed was. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It, um, yeah, I, I, I think we need to really take a step back and start to really re-examine it. It's been, it's long overdue and in Massachusetts, you know, cause that's what really drives the, the bus as it were, um, as far as public schools, um, it, it's remarkable to me because they they were celebrating not long ago about uh, the uh, anniversary of of reform and and all that. And I just <laughs> Reformation and I, Academy was and, the hundred years of yeah. <laughs> and I and I remember just thinking to myself, I'm like, do they really think that this was good um, or or made things better? Um, and you know, and, and it's not. And, and I guess it's a disclaimer. You have to say, well, it's not like um, people don't want some level of of standard, you know, to some extent. You're like, hey, look, you have to be able to have the basics. But it was all supposed to be a benchmark. It was all supposed to be uh, part of an overall comprehensive thing. But it was never, it was never instituted that way. And everybody isn't going to get to that level and everything. Mm-hmm. And everybody isn't going to get to that level. In the same time, I mean, having triplets and having raised three girls and a boy. So my son, very different from the girls. And in many ways, he was like a year behind developmentally than what the girls were doing. And at one time, like I needed to put them into a childcare center and they had a place for the girls, but he was, he wouldn't be allowed to be there with his sisters because of their rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't cool. So I saw, we had this like program thing. So if you were, if you scored like here for language arts or for math, then there was this, I'm sure it was grant funded because it was only 40 kids in the entire school out of like six, 700. So one teacher, so the kids would be pulled out and, Oh, you're not good at this. Okay. Well, we're going to take you out of not your other, you know, math class to do math. Oh no we're going to take you out of something fun and creative. So we're going to take you out of your, we're on a rotation. Um, so we're going to take you out of your music class or your art class or your PE class or whatever. And we're going to de- make you do more things that frustrate you, make you feel miserable and unsuccessful. And that's what they did. I mean, I had kids like, please, Pascardo, get me out of the class. Mm. And then if they, they would have them, for months and months and months and months, I wouldn't see them. And then like the last couple of weeks of school, they'd be thrown back into my classroom and I'd have to grade them. And so, you know, what are you doing except collecting data that you're going to manipulate anyways, so that you can prove that what you did was justified and actually helped somebody, but you have actually tormented these children and made them miserable. And oftentimes they will quit school in a couple of years. Mm. And that's what the grownups and that's what these supposed, you know, programs are doing. And we've been, you know, trying to get creativity and counseling back in the schools. That's it. You know, that's the epitome of of safe sites to have a vulnerable space to be creative and just to do something different. I went last year for my kids at Taconic, the the freshman orientation and I just happened to have some community school stuff back in my in my van outside and I stayed for the day and I had permission to stay and then they were doing activities and I I had like just coloring and I had Legos and and like Uno and the kids were just like I need to just be someplace where I don't have to 
listen to anybody or I don't have to interact with anybody. They just needed a sensory break. We're still trying to push those. Mm. My 10-year-old granddaughter is asking for one in her elementary school. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, We can't accommodate you because. So there's lots of excuses of why the kids are advocating for themselves and saying they need something different than what we're, they're getting, which we have all done when we were in school and children and nobody listened to us either. So we as the grown-ups, need to be like, it didn't work for us. It's not working for our kids and you need to do something different. And we're holding you accountable to do something different because our kids are, they're becoming more violent. They're becoming more self-destructive. They're running away. The teenagers are running away left and right in Pittsfield. The opioids here, the escapism. Uh, part of what has driven me for the last couple of years is because when they lock down everything, which this lockdown was very different from what we did in a school. We did in a school was to protect and make sure everybody was safe and, and had something they needed. And this lockdown left a whole lot of us outside. Um, and a lot of people are still pretending that didn't happen. So like the kids are all traumatized by that mm. and different things. And because I was outside with the kids, knowing that they were sleeping all day when they were supposed to be in virtual school, but they just like, were just trying to escape things that were going on or, or whatever, you know, stuff. It was hard. So I can bring that. And, you know, like the kids need to have a connection. These kids didn't have the same experiences as those kids over there or those kids over there or these kids over here. And now you've just thrown them together and you've pretended that none of that actually happened and they should just forget about that. And they just need to sit down with their Chromebook and do their standardized tests. And, and then they graduate and, and what hmm. <laughs> go to college where you can't afford anything. I mean, how many of our college students are homeless in the country just, or just, you know, working, I mean, I worked 70, 80 hours a week, too, you know, just to <laughs> make $10 an hour with two college degrees. You know, I mean, this is not sustainable. We can't just keep teaching the same wrong rights. And I, I go to the education meetings with my son's IEP, whatever. And I'm like, all the data shows that this is good. Why is everybody doing that? And they're just like, we don't know. I'm like, well, hello, let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it really, uh, and and I think uh, it's it's you're speaking to the teachers too. I mean, I think you know they yeah. they would love to be able to uh, have the flexibility and the creativity to be able to and 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 be able to exercise it. And that's um, what I heard from the teachers at yeah. Reed when my kids were in sixth grade when Kara was there. I started talking to the teachers, and and they were like, "We would love to just." stop curriculum and be able to just regroup and work with our students and work with empathy and compassion and you know just these these things on on how to be instead of just doing because yeah i know it's it's all a mess <laughs> <laughs> it really really is i did yeah. have a, a good conversation with the Taconic principal last week, and I'm hoping to go into the professional 
do a professional development day or do professional development days, which I've been trying to do for the last couple of years to mm. help the grownups not be part of the problem because I have two kids with disabilities and teachers, just grownups, just like, mm. it's, it's, it's not good what they're saying, what they're doing. And, and, you know, teachers don't go into teaching. Most teachers don't go into teaching, you know, for rewards and accolades and, and all that. It's because you think you're going to do a, dif a difference in, in a thing. And um, that's why we have teachers leaving the profession left and right for 10 years now. I mean, first three and a half years I was open at the shop. I talked to um, recovering public school teachers like myself from all over the country. One guy was in Guam just to get away from teaching, just to get away from public education. And, mm. you know, I mean, they're just the squeaky wheels or whatever that we get targeted. And mm. yeah, my last year of teaching was a whole lot of corrupt stuff that these unions and administrators get away with all over the country. And so those who try to bring change, you know, kind of like Dead Poets Society, that that sort of thing is like, oh, you can't just, we can't, you know, deviate from the box and the system, but yeah. we need to. Yeah. We really, really need to, yes. to save our kids. Because, yeah. you, you know, you can't, you can't just uh, change something that's so now embedded for 30 years uh, without, um, without a movement you got you got to move it you got the pendulum has to swing the other way and they're not listening to the to the kids it's my my youngest daughter because of lockdown um she ended up with um she has a physical disability so she ended up without music she'd been a musician for years and years um and without that she ended up with um an eating disorder and instead of two healthcare professionals helping us they in fact decided that I was the problem and neglectful and because I didn't agree with their medical procedures for a mental health thing, they threatened and so there was a lot of stuff going on and that's happening a lot with our families too when our families try to seek help. Kids, even in crisis, even with DCF, foster care, they are on like mental health lists for years and you know the grown-ups are still deciding safety committee meetings over and over again just you know there's a whole other agenda that's going across and it's just the same people perpetuating the same stuff for whatever reason and you know i keep bringing these in the kids are in crisis the kids need this oh we've hired all these mental health professionals in the schools we've done this to have eyes on every child nothing's changing nothing's changing the kids say we want this we need this so she's been advocating for like you know just have better food a snack bar to have an information station that the students lead so the students can connect the students can get their voices heard because honestly at taconic they've been expected with their chromebooks and i'm sure like ever other schools but they have been expected like they're in some sort of corporate setting in their little cubicles 
to be on their computers waiting for an email from like the counselor or a nurse or whatever, or even to like, you want to pass? There's no written passes. You got to like type in a pass. And I mean, all of this absurdity that disconnects further. Kids are on their phones. Wonder why? Why is everybody trying to escape being where they're at? I mean, it's not hard to have fun with kids. You know, give them art, give them music, give them dance. You know, that's the essence of everything. And they've taken, that's the only thing that kept me through high school. I was a musician. So that's what Mm -hmm. kept me going. And it's just, by the time they get to sixth grade, basically they filter away all of their creative outlets. And so then they have seven years of, you know, just academics and no choices. And a lot of kids are in CTE programs that they don't want to be in. I'll put this out there too, because my son was in automotive, 10th grade. So you choose, you know, you go through ninth grade, you go through all the different CTE things and you try them out and then you pick a couple and then you got to pick one, you know, 10th grade on. That's what you're going to do. That's your focus. That's your career. Okay. You're what, 15, whatever. So he was in automotive. And then a couple months ago, he's like, you know, this isn't what I want to do. I thought it was something else. The teacher that he was supposed to be with is in a different thing. It wasn't what he was doing, what he wanted to do. And honestly, there were other kids who didn't want to be there either. And they were making it unsafe for him and others. And the school was not addressing it. So I had to like go to the top and say, okay, my son wants to go into this one now. And, you know, Gary had done a manufacturing so he could help and whatever. And I had to meet with everybody like, oh, they can't do that. They have to decide by the 10th grade, October, for the rest of their career, what they want to be in. And they cannot deviate from that. So what kind of thing is that for kids to do? You know, and I had students in my kids club, my dower kids club, who had several different ones. But I guess it's who decides you're going to be moving. But if a student says, this isn't what I wanted, I want to do something else, they're completely shut down. Okay, so now you have a kid for three years who's just going to hate everything about every day Mm -hmm. and make it miserable for everybody else, including the teachers. How is that because of their, you know, because of the rules, because of their data, because of this, you know, always an excuse of why the kid's voice can't be heard. You know, the kids want this. They're ordering DoorDash. Why not make better food for them to get at school that the kids in culinary are making, the kids in horticulture are growing and have other kids work with them? Mm. You wouldn't think this is just so revolutionary. Well, I mean, if you look at um, our society, the idea of being sustainable is a rebellious act. And um, now... Now that I mean, you know, to, in the early nineteen hundreds, every ha- person in the household was supposed to have two chickens to be a good American. Right, right, and that, <laughs> and that and that was now it's the other way around. Now they want us to be total consumers. So the idea, from a community perspective and from a household perspective, to be sustainable, like we grow our food, we uh, have chickens, we you eat the uh, so we, we don't eat, have to use pesticides. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> all, all these things. We pick dandelions and make them into tea, uh, or you know, these kinds <laughs> of things. 
um, instead of using pesticides to kill them because somehow they're bad. Um, you because know. we shouldn't be killing all the bees. Didn't you see the bee movie? What right. happened? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, don't mow everything yeah you know yeah. so they're mowing spending all this time mowing at the parks and the schools yeah. meanwhile everybody's starving mm. but there's plenty of food so we started with the community school behind zions at the common we have madre jardin and that's a community garden and so we're extending that and our initiative is to put that in the schools i mean there are julia has a couple here and there um, but also this year we're going to be putting in um, wheelchair accessible beds there too, because we have so many people, walkers and, and things like that. And, and they can't get into the garden. They can't get down onto the ground. And so now we have, have that um, they've taken all the trees from the park so that there is no shade because it's easier to mow. So why are we perpetuating all of this? Yeah. So we teach, knowledge and skills because I'm a salvage artist, which I need to get back to, but it was about like, you know, zero waste. So this was garbage, but you can make it into something else. That was the whole premise of, of our, you know, all our work that we did is no matter how much it's supposedly garbage, it's supposedly no good. You can still Phoenix it and to make something unique, new, creative out of it. And you can keep doing that. And the same is true for us. It's like, you know, we have a whole lot of people, older people. Um, you know, it's too late to start something new. Oh, I've missed that. Like I said, that you know, they've disconnected from their creativity and don't know how to get it back. I I worked at one of the, I started before the kids, I started over at Epworth Arms with the grown-ups the elders and just trying to get them to pick up an art tool to use or to get them to talk about their history and, and to journal that they didn't want anything to do with that. And, and that's really sad that that's, that so many are so disconnected that they, I mean, they really thought they didn't matter. Mm. And that, and that was just like heart wrenching, but some of them from talking and, and working things out this one woman and she had been like carrying around guilt and shame for being divorced from her 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 husband like in the 50s when nobody did that you know she was like revolutionary so she's like in her 80s her son's in his 60s successful happy doctor doing well but she didn't see that as her being successful and doing the right thing mm. and and I don't know, that's, that's, you know, that's what the whole mind, body, soul balance is, is just kind of evolved out of that is through your creativity, you find your authentic self. And by experimenting with all these different things, you find what you like and what you don't like, and you don't have to be good and like everything and be at that level. That is not part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. It's to share resources with people and to find somebody who has that skill set that you don't have and to balance one another. That's one of the good things with like Gary and I is like when we brought that into our our creativity and our artwork is that we are so different that we bring that opposite. It doesn't work with all things. Um, but he's my IT guy because I can't do it. You know, 
Nicole, she does all the administrative stuff because I just can't do it. I don't want to be in meetings. You know, I don't want to spend 10 meetings deciding, oh, we may do something. No, <laughs> you do something, you evaluate it, you assess it, and then you just keep going from there. And that's the problem with not creating change. It's like, I, I, you know, at one time I could be at 30 meetings downtown and the businesses and education and all this stuff in the community, but nothing other ever got accomplished except another meeting. Another meeting. <laughs> another meeting was scheduled, but they all got paid to be in those uh, meetings. Everybody I was yeah. meeting with. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was just a waste of time. And our kids are dying waiting for people to figure out the semantics of and logistics of their data and the right wording. And is this feasible? Yes, it's all feasible. Everything. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's feasible with enough uh, with enough uh, motivation. Exactly. So uh, I, I know you got some place to be. Um, got to meet the Eggman. Who the Eggman. You? Uh, so <laughs> I thought it was funny. Almost nobody ever thinks it's funny. <laughs> well, a pleasure seeing you, and um, we'll definitely be seeing. I mean, everything you're doing. Um, hey, it's part of the evolution, and you have to have voices and perspectives that push the envelope. And I really feel like um, education, uh, especially uh, now, uh, there needs to be a reevaluation of the whole thing. Reform. Yeah. Reformation and, and, Academy and maybe, and, you know, and maybe it was also just the, you know, being in post now post COVID world and in that world. So, you know, well, this was say, here before it just got, it like, does. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like just, you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But, so, but people still are, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta move it on. You gotta move forward and uh, do stuff. Do stuff, like you said. Do so. stuff. So, yeah. thanks, <laughs> thanks for lifting our voices. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we're enough word. Yep. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Kroll podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash John hyphen Kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon. Yeah.